I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there, welcome to Sweet, the ladies guide to bro culture. This is our very first episode. This podcast will be devoted to uh, women and uh, a fab people experiencing traditional male culture for the first time. We'll be looking at movies, TV, music, special events, and just about anything you can think of. Uh, my name is Gina Bloom. A uh, little bit about me. I am a transgender lady, and for decades, I experienced everything that the male world had to offer. Um, and I was into it, and I still am. I still watch stupid uh, action movies. I've seen all eight Fast and Furious movies. I've seen, and I will watch the the spinoff with The Rock and Jason Statham making out for three hours. Absolutely, I will watch that, and um, and I love it. And you know, when now that I've transitioned, and most of my immediate uh, social circle are are women, and, and women that you know were assigned female at birth, typically, they don't have the experience of a lot of these things, and they they. They regard them with a certain curiosity, and that's why we're here today. Uh, on today's episode, we have, for our first episode, we have some very special guests here today. Uh, the first special guest, and he will be experiencing our, our bro culture object for the very first time. He is my little brother, Carson Hyde. Carson, say hello. Oh, hi. <laughs> and next to Carson is uh, my old friend uh, from back in my Florida days, Alan Fessenden, and he will be the designated apologist for our pop culture artifact today. Okay, cool. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, just to give you a little bit more context, Carson uh, is also trans. Carson was assigned female at birth and transitioned to uh, to male right around the same time I did. In fact, we, we, um, we came out in the same article in New York Magazine about three years ago. And here we are today uh, to talk about, and I'm very excited about this one, I'm, we're here to talk about the very important man movie called Roadhouse. <laughs> Roadhouse 
is Patrick Swayze as a philosopher bouncer. That is a true statement, by the way. He is a philosopher and a bouncer, uh, technically a cooler, but we'll get into the nomenclature here in a minute. And he uh, takes over uh, stewardship of a very rough bar in some southern town somewhere where law does not exist. And uh, he, I believe the... um, the tagline for the movie is he's busting heads and breaking hearts and boy is he ever breaking hearts and busting heads in this one uh so we're gonna start with some first impressions here about roadhouse carson this is a brand new experience for you can you give me uh your first impressions of patrick swayze in roadhouse um what the fuck was that movie (laughs) i definitely felt that like the villain is so comically villainous is that like a a common 80s villain thing that is actually quite common in in 80s films um but brad wesley the uh i'm I'm sorry brad wesley (laughs) as they call him in in roadhouse is particularly comical and we will talk about that what other impressions do you have uh from roadhouse what what when you saw the film and you and you watched those credits roll and you heard that blind guitarist play one final time what what thoughts were going (laughs) through your mind um, that it was a long two hours. It was a long two hours. Okay. Oh, were there that many mullets in the eighties? That's another one. Yeah. Did pants only come super tight Did or pa- super baggy? <laughs> and the girlfriend is kind of Ivanka Trump, but she also plays a gender complicated character in the L word later on. Like, oh yeah, Kelly King. Yes, Kelly Lynch is. She, we have a lot to talk about with Kelly Lynch and especially she was in the L word. Yeah. Yes. Oh, cool. We have a lot to talk about Kelly Lynch and her outfits today. <laughs> they, they were brilliant. There is one outfit in particular where she looks like a, a tablecloth from Pizza Hut. Oh my god, I know. I was the, like, holy shit. Yeah. Pic- she's like a picnic table. <laughs> she's like a picnic table. <laughs> and then table. she takes her glasses off when she's not doctoring. And I don't. Th- that's right. That. That's also another eighties thing I think where it's yes. like glasses on, doing smart stuff, glasses off getting wild absolutely yes she is ready she is ready to knock it down when those glasses come off uh alan you are our designated apologist uh for roadhouse which which means in in the context of our show that means that we will be asking someone uh usually a, a male but not always that has experience with this um particular artifact and is maybe a fan or at least an expert to some degree and our our friend today for that is Alan. Alan, give us your impressions having just rewatched Roadhouse. Okay, so yeah, watching it now is a definitely a different thing than watching it when I was like in high school or starting college. So what I remember from it, like when I was like, I'm gonna watch this movie again, I was like, Oh yeah, Patrick Swayze's a bouncer, and there's a bar that is so terrible that they have chicken wire around the band. And that that is not like the whole of the movie, but that to me is like the core of it. I was like, this is a tough a tough bar where there's chicken wire around the blind band. Not that the whole band is blind, but that but the the lead guitarist Jeff Healy um, was famously a, a blind guitarist singer of the 1980s, and, and I believe yeah. Roadhouse was his introduction to the world. Actually, oh really? I think that he does great in that movie. He is amazing, and he actually passed away a few years ago, and that that is a shame because oh, I I do think that for all the camp value of Roadhouse, the fact that they did feature a blind uh, blues guitarist that could 
play like that was pretty cool. Uh, if nothing else, it's a nice little artifact. The The music is pretty cheesy because it is like 1989, but I can at least respect the technique. What, what Now that you've seen it, though. So, yeah, just I just rewatched it. And I, I rewatched it once and then like half of the beginning twice. And it's, it's, just kind, it's kind of amazing. And I feel like, yeah, I still like this movie, but I do feel like, wow, it's very campy. And, it's very campy, yes. And I want to point out that Brad <clears throat> Wesley is indeed comically bad, and I forgot the scene. There's a scene in the movie where he's just driving down the road, and because he's Brad Wesley, he's just swerving back and forth two lanes of, 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 of the road. No one else is in the, and then he comes across Patrick Swayze and doesn't flinch. And Patrick Swayze has to like swerve around him, and like, yes, this is like a key example of like how bad character development. The, absolutely, the is. he he's a bad dude. Uh, okay, so we're, I'm going to talk about my first impressions of the movie. I did see it a- as a kid, and um, and again, I, I was not out. I was only vaguely aware that I that I was trans at the time, and um, and I loved it as a kid. I did recognize it as cheesy even as a kid. I remember watching it as a kid with my my older brother and we're and we're talking about this. I remember this very specifically because we saw it in the theaters. We're like, why didn't the cops stop that monster truck from driving over <laughs> that car lot? Is that not what is that not the basic function of the police to to stop monster trucks? There are no cops in this. There movie. are no cops There's in this movie. Literally, they make no appearance. They they make an appearance at the end, and, oh, yeah, I, and yeah, we yeah. will talk about the end because the end is its own particular brand of magic. <laughs> But um, but that's the only point for a movie that has, I think, maybe 35 bar fights and a, a literal monster truck driving over cars, a dude getting his throat ripped out, about three <laughs> buildings blowing up, no police at any point until the very end when they are completely ineffective. Uh, but I loved it as a kid. It was it was an interesting experience because Patrick Swayze is is very sexualized in this movie. He does a lot. He's he's glistening a lot in this movie. He is glistening in just about every scene he appears in. Like when he's doing his like whole like punch the board thing in the barn when he's he's very. angry about about Brad Wesley and his <laughs> and his iron grip on the town. And it was confusing as a kid because I you know I was dealing with a lot of sexuality stuff, but I also wanted to see like him bust heads and break hearts and and I think that I think that tension actually is probably why it's more memorable to me than like a lot of like dumb movies. Like Patrick Swayze the very next year had a movie called Next of Kin and it's completely forgettable. It's Patrick Swayze and Bill Paxton as hillbillies going for revenge in the big city. Their their cousin gets killed and they take a bow and arrow and they shoot up a bunch of gang members in in New York and it's just dumb. It's like there's it's completely not interesting to me. They did not know what to do with Patrick Swayze. They after did not dirty dancing. Know. They're just like they did not what know about this audience. What about this? What about this audience? Yeah. What about this thing? And like, but I think that tension is what um, is what did it for me. That like weird sexual tension that you get watching Patrick Swayze because he is very sexualized in this thing, and yeah. it is it is very homoerotic um, to to like it almost to to a very comical degree actually like just the way that the camera lingers on him. This is the one guy, 
like one of the bad guys is like, I fucked guys. Like, yes, he does. Absolutely. <laughs> the, the fuck? I think that is Jimmy. I think that is Jimmy. That I think that's his name. And he has like this weird puka shell necklace with a with like an alligator uh, tooth yeah. on it. Yeah. That fucking thing. And then, like, yeah, he gets in a fight with Patrick Swayze, and then apropos of nothing, he he just, he, like, roughly whispers in his ear, I used to fuck guys <laughs> like you in prison. And, like... Did that move, did that, <clears throat> was that the first time we hear that line? And, like, it's, I mean, not that we know this, but, like, I feel like, where did it come from before that? Is that, like... No, I don't know. I think that, I, I think that, that, um, that, in, that explicit threat of prison rape may have been unique to Roadhouse at the time. Like there, there had been a movie in the, in the early eighties called uh, midnight express, which was the Turkish prison movie. And that featured a lot of male rape and that sort of like got into the psyche mm -hmm. of American men for like pretty much the entire 1980s. And I, I, I studied film in school. So I, I, I came across a lot of the stuff um, in film school. And I think that movie sort of like, up the male rape paranoia for that entire decade. And, and by the end of the eighties, it had become so, so cliche that they could just throw it in a line of dialogue and it would feel completely natural. Yeah. That that, that would happen. Um, and that brings us to our, to our next section. I want to talk about key scenes in, in roadhouse Carson. Tell us, uh, so, tell us a scene or a sequence in, in roadhouse that really stuck out for you. Um, definitely Patrick Swayze doing Tai Chi. I feel like the 80s also has that weird problem of, like, Orientalism. And I was like, what? Yeah, yeah. So uh. so there's a sequence. Uh, Patrick Swayze. Let me just give you, let me give the audience a, a bit of a, a bit of context on Patrick Swayze's character. Patrick Swayze's character is named Dalton. And Dalton is a cooler. And in the parlance of the movie, a cooler is a captain of bouncers. <laughs> And in the world of, of Roadhouse, a cooler is someone that just travels from town to town cleaning up bars. And he's, he's, he works for hire, $500 a night, I believe is what his going rate was. Yeah, 5000 up front. 5000 up front, 500, 500 a night. Absolutely, night. <laughs> and worth every penny. Um, to these bars that are just like shitty with, with, with extreme fights. I think they break every glass every night in this movie. And um, so Patrick Swayze arrives in in the in the town where the, where the Double Deuce is. That's the name of the bar that <laughs> that he's uh, taking care of. And when he arrives, uh, he he gets uh, this rents this like top floor of a barn or something like that that has a couch in it. And then he goes out, and in the sunset, he practices Tai Chi for like a good solid minute. A good solid minute, and this is one of the scenes I was talking about where he's like weirdly sexualized, and um, he's very shiny. He's very shiny in that movie. Yes. So, so when you were watching that, Carson, as as someone who's new to the male experience, like what what was going through your mind at that time? Um, I just thought it was really bizarre because, like, it seems like it's like a super macho movie while also like look at all of these beautiful male physiques. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I don't know. Now, Carson, you you're, you're, you came very close to finishing a philosophy degree of your own. Yeah. Do, do you feel any kinship uh, to to Dalton, the NYU philosophy grad? <laughs> I mean, there's, like, one scene where he's, like, reading some author who does, like, outdoor essays. Like, he's, like, looking out of the window at this party <laughs> happening next door, and he's like, 
Oh, you kids, while I read <laughs> this very manly outdoors essayist. Um, so I, did, I don't actually feel any kinship with him, but I, I don't know. That was maybe like the closest that I felt. I don't think that I would read manly outdoor essays, but I'm like, oh, you kids in your party. Oh, you kids in your parties. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, I, I did think of you in that scene when I was watching it yesterday. I don't know if you remember this, but I've actually like threatened with making you watch this movie for a couple of years now. Um, because I, I feel like it is, I feel like it is one of two movies that teaches you everything you need to know about being a man. The other, the other f film uh, is Richard Linklater's Boyhood, and if you watch Boyhood and then you watch Roadhouse, you will have traversed from the cradle to the grave essentially in masculinity. And um, so I highly recommend that to, to the viewing audience at home. If you want the quick version of this podcast, just Boyhood. And then Roadhouse. Um, wow. But I did think of that. Uh, Alan, uh, having rewatched it, what, what's a key scene for you? Oh, geez. Okay. Um, the thing that popped into my head was watching the first love scene between the two of them. And I think, like, when I first watched it, I was probably like, okay, they're, they're doing this? Yeah. But watching it now, and, like, just, I, this is, I don't know. To me, I was like, oh, my God, she's going to have sex for the first time after escaping an abusive relationship that is, like, not really talked about, but it's just hinted at by, like, the other girl. Yeah, that's in the that, movie. that is a weird part of the movie, and right? She's so she sensitive had... in it. Yeah. It's weird, right? Like, it's very weird. It's very weird. Can... They, like, Give us a little more context on the scene. Cause, cause... Well, they, they just showed this. I mean, they, they mentioned that she is the ex girlfriend of. Brad Wesley. Brad Wesley, Wesley. yes. <laughs> and uh, we find this out, and then, like, he finds it out after, after they've sort of started flirting. and Yeah, yeah. Which brings up a lot of, like, anxiety for him, because as Sam Elliott will later tell us, yes. that, like, the, the girl, he the, when he did kill somebody, it was because he didn't know that that girl was married from the, his previous time. Like there's all this stuff that you're just like listening a little harder this time, or I was listening a little harder this time, going like, "What is this about? <laughs> what are you saying, Sam?" Yeah. And then like we find out that like he's nervous because he didn't know that Brad Wesley was the right. Ex. Yes, that's true. And then like she's like, there's all these hints that like he's telling her that he's not a good guy, and she's like, "I can, I know you're not a good guy, but I'm still like into it." And they're like, "Okay, as long as you're into it." But I just found that sex scene so like tentative and. Yeah. Awkward a little bit, but like it was all about, it seemed to me all about her committing to do this with her, with him. Which is like a, moment. it's a weirdly like deep, not deep, not, not to give the movie a compliment, but it's a weirdly complicated <laughs> relationship that they're establishing in there with all these like layers that don't really pay off in the film. It's yeah. Not, I put that on the actress in that yeah. moment because I don't think it was like, really well referenced in the movie No, not at all. Not at all. Like, not real. There's like one scene later in, in like the third act where they where she talks to Brad Wesley when like <laughs> in like some level of intimacy that like oh they were together at one point. Uh I do want to talk about um their date before that though when Yeah. when she's getting to know him and like I remember when I saw this and I thought like wow, this is such a really when I was a kid, I mean. Yeah. When I saw this first, I'm like, wow, this is a really like deeply like written relationship <laughs> in my like adult adolescent brain. It was because like there's like this whole like 
dopey flirtation where she's like reading off his medical record for the, when they first meet. And right. She's like asking him like these, these questions. He's giving like these these stupid answers. Like she's like, uh, "How did you get to be a, a a bouncer?" And he's like, "Just lucky, I guess." And like, <laughs> and like it seemed clever, you know, when I was like thirteen years old. And like, it is not. It is like so like terrible. Yeah. And. There's this weird thing in the 1980s, especially in the late 80s and early 90s, when when they want to establish the hero as a hero, they they show him being kind to homeless people, as if like as if this is like the highest possible virtue. Yeah. Homeless people and drunks, and like there's an early scene where Dalton gives his car keys away to like a homeless guy, yeah, before he leaves town to to come to the double Which deuce. Is, it's a whole nother situation because I'm like all his whole car situation. Is, <laughs> his whole car <laughs> is so is bizarre very complicated. Like he gives away a car, yeah, and, and then, then he goes and gets in another car, a nice Mercedes, a nice Mercedes that he drives to the double deuce. And then he buys a third car <laughs> to, to have while he's while he's taking care of the double deuce. I guess so. His Mercedes never gets damaged. No, it does. But it does though. It absolutely he, does. He, like that was final, his plan. Like, yeah. yeah. He eventually he drives the Mercedes into. Like, eventually, he just destroys explodes. his Mercedes. Yes. <laughs> this precious Mercedes. I don't know why they keep like focusing on this Mercedes. Yeah, it's is like beautiful '80s Mercedes, <laughs> and like, and it explodes in like Mercedes. It explodes in like this. In like this like cliche way where they shoot it one time as it's flying <laughs> through the air, <laughs> and it twisting. And in it's the twisting air. through the air and it's flying through the air, twisting and and the and the bad guys shoot it as it's as he's launching it at the at Brad Wesley's compound to start the the climax and it explodes as it twists through <laughs> the air, and like and then of course it goes into slow motion, but um a bit of a detour because like I want to talk about the yeah. the scene where <clears throat> where they're at the diner. And there's this guy. He's like a drunk or something like that. And and oh, the, yeah, yeah. and the and the diner guy's gonna kick him out. And and like and like uh, Swayze just gives the guy well, like twenty bucks and he's like rent for the night. Yeah, the diner says, the diner guy says oh, I'm gonna have to start charging him rent. He's like the the drunk yeah. like falling asleep at the, yeah, at exactly. the counter and he goes I'm gonna have to start charging him rent. And then he says like yeah yes and like rent for the night and like <laughs> that was like such a an eighties cliche. And like, what a man! That that was what they were trying to say. Like, Dalton is such is such a a good man that he just he pays for drunks to sleep in in <laughs> in diners for the night. Carson, at, at, as a new man, does that does that strike you as like as a lesson that you want to take away? That was just more like weird than anything. It was like, pretty weird. Yeah, uh, it felt very unrealistic. Like, it, I, I know that they're trying to paint him as this good guy, but like. The car thing is really weird, and part of it was like, did he buy this like beater muscle car as like, like, performing masculinity for this job? That that's he has? an interesting question. That because I thought my memory of the movie was that it was a piece of shit that he just bought yeah. a piece of shit. Right. But it has a V eight, like the side. But yeah, is, but is like, like huge engines. But like when I watched it again, I was like, that is not a piece of shit. He yeah. actually buys a really nice car. To replace his other really nice car, like, and I'm trying to figure out what's the point of that. Like, he bought two nice cars. Like, my in my memories, like, he just he buys a piece of shit so he can so like because he knows they're gonna wreck it. He knows the people at the bar are gonna wreck it. But it's also a nice car. And like, interesting that you said performing masculinity because he did. I hadn't thought of that. That's an interesting point because he has a. He has kind of a froofy '80s car. He's oh, like, yeah. he, has, he has like a yuppie car. Yeah, there is a moment in the when I rewatched it the second time, 
and he drives up to the do- double deuce for the first time, and there's some bikers outside, and they start harassing him about why he doesn't have like an American car, and it's just like very low key, but they're, like they're just yelling at him. He just sort of oh, ignores yeah. it. And he walks away. And, yes, like, and they call him Moosehead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so great! He has a moose head, right? Like, yeah, like, hey, moose head, nice car. He's just like, Shh, put your hair up and like style it. Oh, yeah, right? that's no, what it's about. That's okay. what it was. Yeah, they were calling him moose head, and like, I didn't catch that. That's awesome. But like, if I remember, like, because <laughs> I remember, because when I was when I was a kid, and I started the seventh grade, I got into my brother's moose, and I gave myself <laughs> moose head, and like, they called me moose head. <laughs> And I never wore moose again, ever in my life. <laughs> and and I remember you gotta be strong like Swayze. You, you man. gotta be strong like Swayze. But if you watch the movie, he stops wearing the moose like halfway through it. Like his hair starts to collapse. Yeah, it's like very flat. Yeah, and by the end of the movie, oh, it's he's getting angry. Yeah, he just didn't have the energy to moose anymore. He just <laughs> there's too much on his mind. I think he had he had to punch boards instead of like oh, take care of his also, hair. So I forgot when he's doing the Tai Chi scene, I was like. I was like watching it, and all of a sudden in my head, I was like singing that song from Mulan, the like "I'll Make a Man Out of You" yes, song. Yes, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Like, training, <laughs> very much so. <laughs> it, the, felt like. it was a very Mulan moment. And the eighties are are full of training montages. It is the yeah, it yeah. is the time of training montages. But like, but like definitely that was a that was, that one especially was very Mulan esque because it had the had the Orientalism going on. Yeah, which made it which gave it that that. That connection. Go ahead, Alan. Sorry, when you say Orientalism, you mean worship? Like, what does that mean? Like, I, uh, like, I feel like fetishizing. Yeah. Okay. Fetishizing like, like Eastern cultures. Yeah, and it's like always vague, like where they're drawing from, like gremlins. It's like, what, yeah. what the fuck is this? Yeah, like what is a mogwai? Right. Don't talk bad about gremlins. That's not cool. Like, <laughs> um, like in the eighties, when when like some some old man of Asian extraction would say something and there'd be like this trill of flutes behind him. Like (laughs) that sort of thing. Like it's like whatever he said, he could be ordering like he could be ordering at McDonald's and they would and there'd be a trill of like flutes. Like like (laughs) exactly. You just passed on the wisdom of his of his people. He got the sides out instead of the fries. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This is a wise decision, I feel like absolutely very as as Confucius would do. But we loved we loved Kung Fu. We loved like that was huge in in the eighties. Like watching all these kung fu movies, yeah. and martial arts, and yeah. like I did martial arts and broke a piece of wood with my elbow because <laughs> I couldn't do it with my fist. You know, like <laughs> this is very exciting time for us. No, Bruce and it Lee was too was for me. Yeah. So my key scene that I want to talk about though is is the um is a scene that I was kind of like when I watched it before I didn't really pay attention because it's not a scene of violence like. Everything that I had remembered as far as like the the interminable number of bar fights, yeah, and the and the logistical improbability of it all, that stuff was pretty much as I remembered it. But I think the performances when Sam Elliott and Kelly Lynch were together, irrespective of Dalton, when they're just like dancing or whatever, they're just having dialogue with each other. Yeah. Wait, Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott. Yeah, as 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 Wade Garrett. Sa- as Wade. Yes, we got to talk about Sam. He he is a force of nature in this movie. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott is the best in the business. Like when everyone says, whenever anyone says to Dalton that he's yeah. the best cooler in the business, he goes, "No, Wade Garrett is." Wade Garrett. <laughs> exactly. You're looking for Wade Garrett. <laughs> yes, Wade Garrett. There are there are three men in this movie that that 
where their names are spoken with import. Dalton. There's Dalton, who has no last name or first name. I don't know. There's a uh, Brad Wesley that gets the weird <laughs> that gets the weird T added to the middle of his last name. And then the third is is Wade Garrett, and he's like the he's like the Obi Wan of the movie. He's the yeah. he's the wise master that arrives about halfway through to like help Swayze clean up this town. Like basically, the, the gist of the plot is that Swayze in in the in the activity of cleaning up the bar, he crosses Brad Wesley, and then he has to expand his mission to clean up the town because right. Brad basically runs the whole town. It takes a turn. Yes, it takes a turn, exactly. And it's too much for Swayze, even. It's too much for Dalton to handle. So he calls in he calls in Wade Garrett. And um This Wade... is the best scene for asking for help without ever saying I need help. Oh yes, go ahead. Go so, for it. No, no, he's no, no, just d- like, no discuss it. Discuss he calls it. him at another bar, which happens to be like a uh <clears throat> what we would call a titty bar. Mm-hmm. A stripper bar. Yes, absolutely. Right, and he's he's got all these Marines, and you see Wade Garrett as played by Sam Elliott, who is like way younger than anyone remembers him. Yeah, weirdly. Yeah, he's like, like oh. he's he's kind of hot. Like, yeah, he, yes, he has. He's hot. He in has this movie. He is. You're I like, thought he was. I've always loved Sam Elliott. Whenever he shows up in a movie, you're like, oh yeah, this guy. Yeah. And then I forgot that I'd ever seen him this young. Yes, but like it totally makes sense that he would be this young in that movie because it's like from and 1989, he's like still 40 right. or 50. I don't know. Yeah, he's still grizzled. He's still grizzled. He's he ha- very fit, but he yeah. he was wiry. He was, and, yeah, he's, he's he's amazing looking. He's got the hair, but it's like long hair, but it's not moosed at all. Yeah, he's it's he's he's like, authentic. He's like right. a country, yeah, like a, a icon or Texas Ranger extra or something. Absolutely, yeah. And so he pulls off a marine and like calms him down from like being aggressive with one of the strippers, and then he gets a phone call. He gets a phone call from Dalton at the bar, and it's Dalton. And they and Dalton, for some reason, is at a um at a laundromat <laughs> making this phone call. And all they do is have a casual conversation. Say, "How's it going?" Same town, different, same bar, different stories, yeah. Like that. And then uh. And he's like, okay, cool. Everything under control? Yeah, I got it. I was like, all right, I'll talk to you, he says. Yes. That's yes. Like, as much as that conversation that, goes about, like, I need help. That is all that conversation needed to be. Right. Because they're because they're they're that good of men, basically, Carson. <laughs> this is what this is a lesson for you as you Do I gain telepathy later? Is that do like you, how that it's works? Masculine you learn to speak in, in, in code. In code, yes. You learn to speak in pauses. Because men don't say things to each other. They don't, they're not allowed. They're not not allowed allowed to be like, I need help. You just say, everything's cool. I just called you out of the blue for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Here's where I am. Just doing that thing bros do where they check in (laughs) once in a while. Just weirdly and randomly to, to like drop in the air that I'm at this place and that this is the location. And it's and yet it's it's okay. Got it. I called you. Let you know that Under I'm here. And yet control. somehow it's okay, as if you needed to know that. And Wade already knew where he was. Yeah, Wade. Wade had heard. And that's the weird thing about this world is that there's this world where like bouncers and coolers are famous. <laughs> like everyone knew that. Everyone knows who Dalton is. Everyone knows who Wade Garrett is. They, they like constantly like 
Do you know who that is? That's Dalton. And they're like, Dalton? Oh my God, Dalton's in the bar? Dalton? Holy shit, Dalton? Can you believe it? As if, like, as if that were a thing. As if, like, you were like, there's like this magazine for like bouncers and they're like, hey, Dalton, he's, he's hot shit, right? And like, and it's the (laughs) same with Wade Garrett. Like, they're like, everyone's like, oh, that's Wade Garrett. And, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. No, there's, I do want to mention that out of the three main characters, the three, Central characters. Two of them are introduced to the town by Jeff Healy. By yes, Jeff Healy. absolutely. Jeff he Healy. Yeah. That's Dalton. Yeah. After a big fight, <laughs> the name is Dalton. Is what he says. Like <laughs> yeah. There's there's like this big fight, and they're like, "Who is that?" And then Jeff says, "The name's Dalton." And then the camera starts to slow zoom on the back of Swayze's head, and then <laughs> Swayze turns as as he's saying, "The name's Dalton," and like the. And like the camera just stops, like right on a medium close up, just as, <laughs> just as Jeff finishes, and it's like, and then there's like a power chord on the guitar, like, <laughs> like all at the same time, and it's 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 a powerful moment. Yeah, is a definitely an introduction, and and Wade Garrett does get the same thing. That's true. Um, he's he fights off a bunch of dudes trying to beat up Swayze, and then like, they're like, who is that guy? Like the other people at the bar, are like who is that guy? And then like Jeff Healy pops up and he goes. Ladies and gentlemen, Wade Garrett. <laughs> Wade Garrett. Like that. Like that. Oh, Wade Garrett, obviously. Who else could it be? I've heard of him. He's a famous cooler. <laughs> he's, a fa- he's the best in the business. Absolutely. He fixed one of those bars down in Jacksonville that said people said nobody could fix. But Wade Garrett fixed it. There's no more alligators in that bar. Wait, are coolers real in real life, or is this is a thing they made up for this? This you're movie? saying no. Okay. Um, sorry, <laughs> <laughs> Kate. The no, uh, Kate. Well, uh, Kate. The, the 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 manager of the of the studio was was shaking her shaking head vigorously. No, she does not believe coolers are a thing. Which is I, breaking down some of my it, belief it, systems. Uh, I, I that, don't go to a lot of bars, but. <laughs> I have been to a lot of bars. I, I grew up, and, and Carson, and actually, Alan, we all did. We all grew up in Florida yeah. where there were a lot of shitty bars, and there were no bars that were as huge or as rough <laughs> as the Double Deuce. Oh, and I, I used to deliver pitas to, like, strip clubs in the daytime. Yeah. Like, that was, like, my job. So and, like, never that rough. we're from the central part of Florida, which is basically America's most embarrassing neighborhood. <laughs> and if there were ever a place to have rough roadhouses that needed a cooler— it was the cent- it was the band across the center of Florida, and like there is nothing that approaches the the absurdity of the double deuce, and I I love that the fact that this world exists out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, the scene between Sam Elliott and Kelly Lynch when they're when they're just dating, and and sh- he's trying to like gently warn Kelly Lynch about Dalton's Daltonness. <laughs> And and it's just charming. It's like it's interesting because they're the two best actors by far in this film. Sam Elliott. Sam Elliott and, and Kelly Lynch. Yeah. And Swayze's good, but he's kind of hamstrung by the fact that he has to be the star. Swayze, yeah, he, I mean, Swayze's a good actor in the right role. He's he is he's he's the star, and like he has a, he has a persona, so he's kind of like, he's kind of stuck in it. In this movie, he is a a, a beautiful bird. He's a beautiful <laughs> bird in this movie. Absolutely, and just sort of. Yes, and regal in that right in his, in his in his brilliant plumage, <laughs> and like yes, absolutely. But like the scene between Sam Elliott and Kelly Lynch, divorced from everything else, is just a charming little scene between two people. 
that are just nice. And it yeah. was like, it was like, it was this weird little respite from the rest of the film. Cause the rest of the film is just cheesy and funny. And like, like, Oh, I would actually like to hang out with Sam Elliott and Kelly Lynch. That's the only point in this movie that I, I felt that way. Well, what did you think? Like when he, um, when they're dancing and, and she says, is this the part where you tell me what a good guy Dalton is? Yeah. And he's, and he, then he's like, this is the part where I tell you, I want you for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it seemed authentic. It seemed authentic. That's what I'm saying. That's like the charm of that scene. Like it seemed like a thing that a that a grizzly like dude would say to kind of flirt with his his best yeah, friend's his girl best friend's a little girl, yeah. bit. Not not for real, but just to be just to be friendly. Like yeah, yeah. And like I remember um I remember guys like that. There were like these guys that were like the McConaughey types, at least like these hicks that were that were philosopher hicks. And they had that easy charm with women. And they yeah, didn't, smooth, flirty, but not... But not, like, aggressive not and not threat. skeezy. Yeah, they were just... Yeah. That's just how they were. And that was the thing. that Like, that weird little three minutes was, like, this weird little respite of, of charm in the middle of this, like, avalanche of, like, masculinity. Huh. But then it was over, yeah. basically. Um, I have a map here of how I want this to go, but, you know, what? we're having such a good time that I'm just going to, like... We're just going to wing it. Carson, um, tell me a little bit about how you feel now having seen the movie. Does it have, does it, does it tell you anything as, as cheesy as it is? Does it, does it give you any insight into the, into the American male mind having seen this? Um, yeah, the answer uh, could be no. I, I think it, it definitely like, presented like two modes of masculinity that I observed, like that very like fragile machismo that yeah, I very yeah. much despise. <laughs> and then the weird I'm really into David Foster Wallace and I'm a soft boy masculinity that I also despise. Yes. But yes. Yeah. I think it was it, it felt realistic to me. It felt real <laughs> it felt realistic in the sense that not not objective realistic mind you like, yeah. it, like it, it's not a realistic film but it yeah. felt right. it felt like it was representing masculinity in like a genuine way yeah so, so tell us a little bit more about um about how that how you might take that or not <laughs> as you because you've only been out for a little while you have not you've not had a, an abundance of experience in the male world like does that does it give you any like insight? Does it give you any like thoughts on how to navigate male relationships? Because you have to deal with you have to deal with bros now. You have to deal with yeah with guys and I work in being guys. And it's like yeah. the broiest of all jobs. Yes, it is. I've I've heard you talk a lot about <laughs> a lot about the broiness of your of your workplace. Yeah. I'm very not good at navigating bro speak. Uh, my boss and I almost, we pretty much only communicate via email now. I'm so bad at being a bro. Yeah. So. Um, but don't you wish you had like the, the easy charm of a Sam Elliott to, to rely on? That would be nice. I don't know that I've ever seen that in real life, though. No. I mean, he has, I mean, it's a movie. So yeah. like people are reacting <laughs> the way that they want. They want the movie. Re the movie treats him the way that he wants to be treated. Like the, every everything goes according to Sam Elliott's plan until he gets killed. Um, yeah, he wasn't. 
yeah. depending on that. No, <laughs> no, absolutely not. But I'm just saying that I'm just saying that that that, the, that no one that no one ever reacted poorly to Sam Elliott's charm. Like he, like everything went according to plan when he talked. Uh, so, and that's not how the real world works, obviously. But yeah. I guess what I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is that this is the most masculine movie that I could think of. This oh, is. I did take one thing from it. Okay, go for it. I forget what his name is, but the farmer who rents him the weird barn apartment. Oh, that's yeah, that's a red. Uh, I believe uh, his name is Red. So no, at one red, point, red owns the the sh- the shop. Oh yeah, he owns Red the owns the shop. That's right. Red owns Red owns the general store that blows up. Okay, I do not remember the farmer's name, but go yeah. ahead. So at one point he's like, "Don't call me sir. That's like put an elevator in an outhouse." And I was like, <laughs> "I fucking like that." Put an elevator yeah, in an outhouse. Know. Yes, absolutely. Not classy enough to be sir. Yes, <laughs> that that is a good lesson to take um, from life. Alan, you you have been you've been in the world of men your entire life. Yeah. Um, but now having seen having seen Roadhouse as an adult, do you, do you think that that film and, and films like it, do you think that that has, that changed the way that you, that you reacted? Do you, do you remember how those type of movies like influenced you a, as a younger person? Well, it's funny. Cause I, the thing that's sticking out to me is there is like a dichotomy of like good male thing. Like the whole movie is very like, I mean, it's a, it's, teenager dream is a lot of fights and yeah yeah there's a lot of boobies absolutely like, right? absolutely get, a lot of tits in this, thing. Tits yeah. in this movie and you're like as a, i was like awesome this is you're coming out of like blurred hbo blurred cinemax yes porn and you're getting to see like a movie that has like patrick swayze and a bunch of boobies so and a bunch of boobies, boobies. absolutely <laughs> Is that not what we call them these days? Yeah, um, bo- no, that's boobies is good. That's a, that's. But um, a but you're like you're like word. all right, excited and like and then like there's this moment where he sees Brad Wesley's current girlfriend is all beat up from like yeah. flirting with him, and you're like, oh, now he's gonna take action, and then he really never answers that with any sort of like direct. No, thing. and he's and actually like, he says something really shitty about her. About her, right? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. If you're gonna have a pet, keep it on a leash. Basically, that's I think that's, that's the line. She yeah, makes out with him. Yeah, when she does the strip tease, and then, and then he says that highly misogynistic line, and like I wanted to touch on that a little bit because we, yeah, we've been kind of nice to Roadhouse, but there but there are problems with it, and there is <laughs> there are a lot of problems with it. Um, it is misogynistic. It is not super misogynistic only because women don't have a lot of place in this film and that is inherently misogynistic because there's only one female character that gets any sort of like screen time and she only exists to to be a sounding board for for patrick swayze really well there's yeah there's the waitress who does objectify yes 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 the waitress yes oh with the lesbian vest the waitress with the lesbian the weirdly the the sexually confused waitress (laughs) with the bangs and the lesbian vest that is yet somehow lusting for swayze but swayze is also but he has some lesbianic style he has but that's the thing though high collar black tee he did though he had jeans and he had the mullet he had he had like the the alien warno's hair for a little (laughs) while there so it was it was it was a little bit it it must have confused her i think is what we're saying the 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 lesbianic waitress probably her first attraction to to a man but it it was a beautiful <laughs> it was a beautiful man that represented the masculine and the feminine in equal measure so it, i guess it makes sense there we um, go but yeah i wanted to talk about that cuz it it is it is a 
one of the things I want to, t- to touch on in this podcast is themes of misogyny and homoeroticism because they are um, they're rampant in these kinds of movies. And I, and the homoeroticism and the misogyny are kind of two sides of the same coin because um, because a lot of times like it's not homoeroticism in the sense that I think I'm gay. It's like it's more like I'm worried that I might possibly be gay. And then that leads into the flip side of the misogyny. Like, why aren't you, why aren't you sexual enough, ladies, to make me not feel like I could be gay? And that's kind of the dichotomy you see in Roadhouse because the women are sexual objects. There's the one woman that is like the the current girlfriend. All she does is strip. That's her whole function in this movie mm-hmm. is to strip. But also the the men in this movie, Swayze especially, are also sexualized. Yeah. And there's that fight where the where. Jimmy gets his thro- throat ripped out. And he's like, I used to fuck guys like you in prison. And they're just like grappling with each other. And it is very gay. It is a very, very gay scene. It so is. We haven't made any progress in like 2,000 years of Western culture. As well. No, I, I, no. I, and I don't think that the mission of this podcast <laughs> is to identify progress. Not, not a bit. But um, now, and, and I wanted to wrap up the discussion of the film by talking about the ending. So... Just to give you an example, uh, or re- rather bring you up to speed on the ending. So, basically throughout the film, Dalton and Brad Wesley are in this like escalating battle. Um, Brad is basically attacking the town to make Dalton leave. Like he, for some reason, he wants Dalton to leave so bad, but he doesn't attack Dalton directly. He, yeah. Like he he blows up businesses of Dalton's friends. <laughs> As like a way to fuck with Dalton's head. It's, like, it's a really weird, it's a really weird battle they're having with each other. This weird proxy battle they're having in this right. town. And it progresses to the point where um, Dalton kills Jimmy in that very gay fight scene. Mm-hmm. And then by ripping out his throat. By ripping out his throat. As promised. As promised. Movie. Yes. As we were waiting for that throat rip <laughs> from like the first moment that like that tense scene where he's like, it's, it wasn't your fault, man, like <laughs> Sam Elliott was telling him. And then he does it again. And then um, and then there's like this weird moment, like it, it sort of prefigures, like it predicts uh, the Dark Knight by giving him like this Joker-esque <laughs> dilemma where he has to save either his best friend or his girlfriend. Oh, shoot, yeah. Yeah, it's like this weird like Dark Knight thing, like the Dark Knight rips this off. And like it even kind of works in the same way where he misdirects. Like he mm. makes he, he like he makes the hero think that he's going in one direction just so he can have the time to go the other direction. Yeah. Also, it's a very dumb decision he makes to be like, "You stay here." Yeah, you stay here. You <laughs> I'm stay go here. Save the person who is <laughs> right. In you danger. St- yes, you stay here and be unprotected in your <laughs> injured state. When I could just as easily like drag you with me. Right. You could just wait in the car. Yeah. Along. <laughs> yeah. Not. It was not smart. Basically, what happens is he threatens both uh, Kelly Lynch and and Wade Garrett. Uh, their lives, and then uh, Wade comes in injured into the double deuce, and then um, Dalton assumes that he's off to kill Kelly Lynch, leaves Wade alone. Kelly Lynch is fine at the hospital, mm-hmm. comes back to the double deuce, and Sam has a knife in his chest, and he's dead, and that is it. That is it. Uh, at that point, Dalton has had just enough, about enough of, of, of Brad Wesley. <laughs> but also the misdirection when he comes back after trying to go save Doc, who doesn't want to go with him, he's like, 
you're coming with me. She's like, I'm my own person. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's so frustrating. <laughs> and he goes like, well, I'm just going to get out of well, here. I'm, with, sorry, I'm just I'm not going to save your my, life then. Yeah. I'm going out and get my best friend. We're out of here. And he's pissed. And he's like worried that somebody's going to die. And he walks back into the double deuce. And he sees Wade just sleeping on the bar. He's like, oh, come on, buddy. Yeah. I just said have a beer, not a whole a case. Not stick a knife in oh your chest. Oh, my gosh. And he turns him over. And there's the knife that says Tails. It was so Tails, no, yeah. No, it says Tails pinned to his chest by a knife. <laughs> because, 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 because Brad threatened to flip a coin. Yes, yeah, right. absolutely. And it, and it, it was it was Tails. <laughs> and then he comes to get his revenge on, on Brad Wesley. And he goes in. And mind you, the whole thing is that he has a problem with killing people. Yeah. But he kills the fuck out of Brad Wesley's goons. Like, he... He throws a knife in a guy's head from downstairs. <laughs> well, kind of. That's the thing. After he rips that throat out, this is the second time that he's killed somebody. The by second time that he's, he's he's ripped out and a throat. I think he's over the over the edge. And but he, he loses his girlfriend. She's like, "That's not cool, man." But like, but like, then he gets the fear back at the very end when he when he has Brad on the couch, and he's gonna do the <laughs> throat rip, and then he's like, "No, I can't do it." As after he's killed all of Brad Wesley's goons. And then he like not only can he not kill Brad Wesley in in the moment, but he also leaves the gun that Brad had in his hand With earlier, him. yeah, for Brad to pick back up. And then of course the 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 main climax is when the remaining business leaders of 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 the town of Jasper shoot Brad Wesley full of of shotgun holes. And then finally, after an hour and fifty two minutes, the police arrive for the very first time <laughs> in this film. I just want to say that all the all the Older white men that yeah. shot Brad Wesley all look like they could have auditioned for Brad Wesley. <laughs> they, they all could have just exchanged roles. Yes, could they, have been the bad guy. Of they this all movie. could have just been. But these were the good old boys. Yeah, and then the cops show up, <laughs> and then they're like, "Did you see anything?" And they're like, "No, we didn't see anything." <laughs> and then they're like, "All right, well, I guess we're done here." <laughs> and then like, and then everyone gets away with with murdering Brad Wesley. And then there's no evidence to collect. Yeah, or, and then my favorite moment in all of Roadhouse. From my favorite incidental character, and it's it's we have not mentioned him once, and I'm a little surprised. And it's it's the it's Brad Wesley's henchman Tinker. Tinker, yeah. Tinker is oh, the bear falls. On. The t- yes, and the bear falls on Tinker. <laughs> he has this henchman, this this hillbilly henchman. He's kind of simple minded. He's 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 largely big, innocent. Big heavy dude. Yeah, the big heavy dude. And then instead of killing him in the action climax, basically Swayze very slowly, very very slowly. <laughs> Tips over a six-foot stuffed polar bear <laughs> on the Tinker, knocking him unconscious. And then Tinker gets back up after Brad has been killed. And then they ask Tinker, Tinker, did you see anything? And then Tinker's the last line of the film, the last line of dialogue in the entire film is Tinker going, a polar bear fell on me. Yeah. And then that's it. And then it rolls credits. And I think that is wonderful. Wait. I feel like he also said, like, Patrick Swayze said something about, like, he's your type or something when he, like, knocked the fucking bear. Yeah, he knocked him right. he, like, he's like, he's your did type. Did a gay write this line? That, exactly. Uh, yes, exactly. That was a very gay moment. Yeah. But that, but like, of all the things that Roadhouse leaves us on, Carson, the final lines of the film... <laughs> The final line of the film, a polar bear fell on me. <laughs> As a philosopher, what, what does that tell you? What, what, is, there, is there anything that you can take away from this completely random ending? So I was thinking about it. I haven't like fully fleshed out this idea, but you could probably do like a Marxist reading of the movie. Um, Wesley 
is like a, a disaster capitalist destroying oh, yeah, the environment totally. around him. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, you know, these business leaders or like stakeholders in the local community rise up against him, overthrow him, murder him, and then are like, fuck you, police. We know nothing. And then, you know, polar bear, I don't know. I'm sure you could tie that somehow to like environmental degradation. Cause like, I like to think of the polar bear as like, a, as like an example of the absurd. Like it, yeah. like it is, it is purely something that, that comes out of nowhere and it is the only thing that that Tinker, the sort of holy fool of the film, has to offer. He's like, "What does it all mean, Tinker?" Like this is what they're saying to him at the end. Like, like Tinker, what's what's your take on on Roadhouse? And he's like, "I don't know. A polar bear fell on me." I think, or like Wesley's Kingdom of Death, like, yeah, fell down. Yes, like. yes. I I just I love that the fact that the film ends on on a complete note of absurdity because I as a person who loves that sort of thing that loves the, the hard left swerve that a major action film just ends so stupidly. It was like one of the most beautiful things about this film. Maybe that polar bear was like a earworm that crawled into some young kid's mind. Yeah. Who later pitched to Coca-Cola. Yes. The polar bear. Yes, exactly. Coke. Exactly. And say, I don't know. A polar bear fell oh, on well, me. No, a polar bear fell on Coke. me. And then that was it. <laughs> and then history was made. Um, okay, so we're about out of time. Um, I just wanted to ask everyone, Carson, um, I know you're not a comic and you don't really work in the industry, but do you have anything going on that you want folks to know? I do know that you work uh, in charity and, and that you are a very socially active person. Um, I don't have a lot going on. I did weirdly interview for a webmaster job, which I didn't think was still a job anymore. So I'm very excited about that because oh, it's well, good luck. <laughs> nice. A shipping company that needs a webmaster, which is nice. really bizarre. And oh. Alan, Alan Fessenden, I'm sorry I didn't give you a proper introduction. I'm, I'm new sorry. at this. Uh, Alan is a long-term uh, staple of the, of the New York City indep- uh, uh, improv scene. He is an actor and uh, a very funny dude. Alan, do you have anything going on you want folks to know about? No, just follow me on Twitter at Alan Fessenden. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful. I'll post responses to Trump's tweets is all I do nowadays. Oh, well, there you go. See? It, it all comes back around. Um, <laughs> so there you go. Uh, this has been Sweet, a Lady's Guide to Bro Culture, and uh, I am your host, Gina Bloom. A uh, polar bear fell on me. <laughs> Buffy and Frodo were in the Hogwarts library late into the night, prepping for the final trek into Mordor. Liz, I have to stop you. Why? Because this already sounds like the greatest story of all time. World Stealers! (laughs) More Banana Podcasts presents World Stealers! fan fiction podcast. I'm Kate. And I'm Liz. And every episode, we'll take you on a new adventure through a familiar fandom with a hot off the press original fanfic. World Stealers has everything. Wizards. <laughs> sea creatures. Ooh. Adventure and daring. Yeah. Terrible accents. Yeah. 
So if you're a bit of a geek or you just love great stories, World Stealers is for you. Find us at the Gates of Mordor or wherever you listen to podcasts.